first, our longing for God. Oh God, I don't love you. I don't even want to love you. But I want to want to love you. Teresa of Avila Born Again Breach One year my wife and I visited Peru, the country where Janet spent her childhood. We traveled to Cusco and Machu Picchu to view relics of the grand Incan civilization that achieved so much without the benefit of an alphabet or knowledge of the wheel. On a grassy plateau outside Cusco, we stood next to a wall formed of towering gray stones that weighed as much as 17 tons each. The stones you see were cut by hand and assembled in the wall without mortar so precisely that you cannot insert a sheet of paper between them, our Peruvian guide boasted. Not even modern lasers can cut so accurately. No one knows how the Incas did it. Which, of course, is why Eric von Daniken suggests in the book Chariots of the Gods that an advanced civilization from outer space must have visited the Incas. Someone in our group asked about the engineering involved in transporting those massive stones over mountainous terrain without the use of wheels. The Incas left no written records, which prompts many such questions. Our guide stroked his chin thoughtfully and then leaned forward as if to divulge a major secret. Well... It's like this. The group grew quiet. Pronouncing each word with care, he said, We know the tools, but we don't know the instruments. A look of satisfaction crossed his sunburned face. As we all stared at him blankly, waiting for more, the guide turned and resumed the tour. For him, this cryptic answer had solved the puzzle. Over the next few days, in response to other questions, he repeated the phrase, which held some significance for him that eluded the rest of us. After we left Cusco, it became a standing joke in our group. Whenever someone would ask, say, if it might rain that afternoon, another would reply in a Spanish accent, Well, we know the tools, but we don't know the instruments. That enigmatic phrase came to mind recently when I attended a reunion with several classmates from a Christian college. Though we had not seen each other for twenty years— we quickly moved past chit-chat toward a deeper level of intimacy. All of us had struggled with faith, yet still gladly identified ourselves as Christians. All of us had known pain. We updated each other, telling first of children, careers, geographical moves, and graduate degrees. Then, conversation turned darker. Parents with Alzheimer's disease, divorced classmates, chronic illnesses, moral failures, children molested by church staff. In the end, we concluded that God is far more central to our lives now than during our college days, but as we recalled some of the language used to describe spiritual experience then, it seemed almost unintelligible. In the theology classes 25 years before, we had studied spirit-filled living, sin and the carnal nature, sanctification, the abundant life. None of these doctrines, however, had worked out in the way we anticipated to explain a life of spiritual ecstasy to a person who spends all day taking care of a cranky, bedwetting Alzheimer's parent is like explaining Inca ruins by saying we know the tools, but we don't know the instruments. The language simply doesn't convey the meaning. Words used in church tend to confuse people. The pastor proclaims that Christ himself lives in you, and we are more than conquerors. And although these words may stir up a wistful sense of longing, for many people they hardly apply to day-to-day -day experience. 
A sex addict hears them, prays for deliverance, and that night gives in yet again to an unsolicited message in his email folder from someone named Candy or Heather who promises to fulfill his hottest fantasies. A woman sitting on the same pew thinks of her teenage son confined to a halfway house because of his drug abuse. She did the best she could as a parent, but God has not answered her prayers. Does God love her son less than she does? Many others no longer make it to church, including some three million Americans who identify themselves as evangelical Christians yet never attend church. Perhaps they flamed briefly in an intervarsity or campus crusade group in college, then faded away and never reignited. As one of John Updike's characters remarked in A Month of Sundays, I have no faith, or rather I have faith, but it doesn't seem to apply. I listen to such people and receive letters from many more. They tell me the spiritual life did not make a lasting difference for them. What they experienced in person seemed of a different order than what they heard described so confidently.